On a dark, wooded road, you wander through the night. You're familiar with your surroundings as you step so surely on, but tonight is different. The snap of a twig catches you off guard, and you begin to hear something. It's low at first, but there's something there. You know you can hear it. Though the fear within you courses through your being, screaming for you to run and find safety, something else is there inside, compelling your curiosity and making you hesitate. Something inside wants to know. You're listening to Whispers in the Night. Welcome back to Whispers in the Night. My name is Sang Peng Duong Det. As always, this is the podcast that combines fact, fiction, and folklore into each episode to dig into and explore the things that we fear most. Of course, all of these things that we bring to you, we bring straight from the Midwest. Thank you for stopping by. In tonight's episode, we talk about little people. Now, when you think of those words, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Little people. Now, I'm sure if you're like most people, you probably think about things like hobbits. Maybe you think about dwarves. You know, things like that. Maybe you think about Santa's workshop and Christmas when you think about elves. What else? Uh, Leprechauns, fairies. We tend to think about all of these somewhat whimsical creatures that were born of European folklore. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with having these ideas come to mind. Little people have generally been a part of human folklore for several ages. Many of the stories, fables, myths... Uh, and even fairy tales that we've come to know have traveled over the ocean with our ancestors when they came from Europe. And here's the thing, the concept of little people isn't just European folklore either. There are stories, uh, legends that come from all over the world, in fact. Folklore has been told through the ages of mischievous, uh, sometimes treacherous little beings, Beings that some only chanced to catch a glimpse of. From as far away as New Zealand, uh, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, up to Greece, stories of different types of little people have existed with the legends and histories of each culture. Now, as you can see, or you should be able to see now, this isn't uh, really anything new. And being a podcast that is currently centered on the Midwest, I'm sure... I don't have to remind you just how rich uh, the Midwest is with folklore in general. Since there are so many types of little people legends within the United States, let alone the Midwest, we'll be focusing on just one of them tonight. Now, there's the Chaneka, the Menegishi, the Yanwi Sundi, the Popoli, among many others, from Native American folklore and stories, uh, the, the Pukwaji, for instance. But, uh, while researching for this episode, I wanted to bring you something fresh in the realm of this topic, and I noticed that there are just so many podcasts that cover the Pukwudgie. So, you know, that's great and all, but Puck that. I'm sure we'll get to them eventually. In tonight's episode, we focus on the little people of the Native American Anishinaabe, or, you know, Ojibwe folklore and legend, the Memegwesi. All of that and some other goodies right after a quick break. Okay, so part one, uh, this is where we'll talk about folklore. Okay, so Mamegwesi. Now they're known by many Native American tribes from the Midwest, such as the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, Cree, Algonquin, Inu, and the Menominee. Mamegwesi are known to the natives as small riverbank-dwelling spirits, but are also known to dwell near other bodies of water, such as lakes, too. According to Ojibwe traditions, Mamegwesi can only be seen by children and medicine people. 
Physically, they appear to those who are granted the chance to see them to look like small children at first. They stand about two and a half, three feet tall. Most often, they're described to look like small figures covered in hair with large heads. In fact, it's believed that the name Mamigwesi stemmed from the Ojibwe word Mami, which translates to hairy. Uh, some odd characteristics that have been pointed out are the fact that they have been described as uh, having big lips, or often no nose. In in many cases, some people have in many cases some people have described them as having noses, but they are also described as being flat to their faces. And they speak too. It's said that they have a strange voice. Uh, their voice has been described to sound like the whine of a dragonfly. Much is also said about the nature of these little people of Native American folklore. Some say that they're tricksters. Uh, they play playful pranks on people. Others say that they're thieves who love to steal. Uh, they steal what they can from those who trespass on their territory. Fishermen have claimed to have their catch stolen from them as they've turned away to throw another cast just for a moment. Others have claimed that they've, they've gone for a dip in the river or a lake only to come out finding that their pockets have been completely stripped of anything they had in them. According to Native American folklore, the Mamigwesi are divided into three separate tribes. There are those who live uh, within the banks along lakes, streams, and other bodies of water, uh, those who live among plants, and those who guard the realm that exists between it all. The Mamigwesi who live within the banks are known to be incredibly strong. It's said that they can uproot trees and achieve great feats such as lifting and throwing rocks and boulders with great ease. Those who live among the plants are said to help vegetation grow and thrive. Corn and squash will grow fat and fruitful. Flowers will bloom very bright. Uh, the bark on trees will grow thick. And life all around uh, will just kind of flourish uh, wherever it can grow. Now, the Mamigwesi who live in the deep uh, within the earth, the ones who guard the realm below, are tasked with protecting the surface from what lies below. Mamigwesi down here keep the monsters and serpents, all of these things that dwell in the darkness and the cold, from breaching the surface to harm people. It's said that that's their purpose. It's also said that if a person sees a Mamigwesi and is kind to them, the Mamigwesi will return the gesture with good tidings, such as you know, like good luck. Uh, people have been known to leave gifts, and, uh, like plates of food, among other things, in a place where they had seen Mamigwesi in a forest or along a bank near a river, where, wherever they'd seen them recently. This is a sign of great respect and, and acknowledgement. It's said that people do this to receive their favor. Uh, some, has, some have even given gifts in hopes that they will receive help or aid from the Mamigwesi uh, for the challenges and conflicts that they are currently facing in their lives. You know, that, that's one side of the coin. These little people... Now, this is where things kind of start to change a little bit. This is where we start to see the darker side of their nature. There are these trees um, that appear to have no grass growing around them. If you ever see one of these while you're out hiking, uh, you should know that these types of trees are, well, they're sacred to Mamigwesi. A person who disrespects the Mamigwesi by cutting down one of these trees will be cursed for the rest of their days, or so it's been told. Uh, there are other ways to offend them too. For instance, the Mamigwesi don't like being looked upon. Uh, they pride themselves in being... They pride themselves in avoiding being seen altogether. If you happen to glance at one, if you happen to ever see one, staring at one for too long is considered a great sign of disrespect, and such an act can't go on without one being punished for their crimes. Well, here's another thing. Maybe you find a shiny stone on a casual stroll along a riverbank. Perhaps you pocket it and take it home. Well, maybe that stone belonged to Mamigwesi. Taking things from them is also considered a very, very high offense and will often paint a target on your back. Now, here's how. Because Mamigwesi are so small and they're so hard to spot, they take their vengeance by stealing away things 
to exact revenge on their offenders. Now, this might seem little. Uh, this might seem like a very minor threat. Now, what starts as missing something small, maybe a watch, uh, a photograph, something that was stolen away by these little people, it, it will end up turning ridiculous as more things start to disappear around your home. Because here's the thing. The Mimigwesi will keep on taking things uh, from beneath your nose until they feel that they have been satisfied and equal uh, to the offense that you put upon them. You know, what might start out as a missing ring or watch, something beloved and treasured, will turn sinister very quickly as more things go missing around your home. Bigger, more important things. Until someone, maybe like you, wakes up one night to find that your child has been stolen away, as the Mamiguesi have been known to do. You see, what starts as something so completely simple and harmless, something that maybe you don't think about at first, such as a story about playful, tiny tricksters, it could turn into something terrifying when you think about accidentally wronging them. Part two of the show tonight, this is where we deliver a feature audio fiction. In preparing for this episode, I reached out to writer Blair Daniels for a story. I had used a story of hers in a recent episode, and, and I was a longtime fan of her work in the No Sleep podcast, so I figured I'd see what she thought. I passed along the idea, I sent over a few sources I had been using for research, and in pretty much no time, uh, she sent a story back to me. Before I say anything else, I have to say that Blair Daniels recently released a collection of short stories that this very story is included in. It's called Don't Scream, 60 Tales to Terrify, and you can find it on Amazon as well as her website. Tonight's story is called Memeguesi, and it's performed by Lindsay Boyd and Freddie Trejo. Grandpa, what's that? I pointed at one of the boulders on the riverbanks. A hole had been carved in the center just a few inches above the water's surface, about two feet tall, one foot long. It's just a natural formation, Emily. It doesn't look natural. The top was arched into a perfect circle, as if drilled by a machine or painstakingly carved by an artist. The bottom flattened out into a straight line. It looked deep, too. The sides of gray rock faded quickly into complete darkness. Maybe it's a rabbit burrow. Rabbits can't dig through stone. Grandpa sighed, pushing his paddle against the water. It made a gentle splash. I don't know what it is, but I think you'll have much more fun if you don't think so much. He was right, of course. This was my once-a-year trip with Grandpa to get away from the hustle and bustle of city life. I was supposed to relax and have fun, but I usually just ended up with a thousand mosquito bites, ugly sunburn, and another weird story about my great-uncle Carl. Just close your eyes. Listen to the birds. Forget about everything. He said with a reassuring smile. I closed my eyes. I heard the chirps of birds flitting from tree to tree. The steady splashes of Grandpa's paddle cutting through the water. The thump, thump, thump of footsteps across the grass footsteps. My eyes shot open, but when I whipped around to the shoreline, I only saw a deer grazing several feet from the riverbank. Look at that deer, Grandpa said, steering the canoe towards the shore. Long grass poked out from the shore, brushing against my arms. Beautiful, isn't she? She's okay. What? You don't like her? I shrugged. I see deer all the time upstate. Well, I want to get a better look at her. Grandpa quietly paddled along the shore. Roots and rocks jutted from the dirt, nearly brushing the boat. I noticed two more holes, one in the moist dirt of the riverbank, the other carved into the trunk of an oak tree. I didn't point them out to Grandpa. Before we knew it, 15 minutes had passed. The forest grew darker, quieter. Gnarled trunks and branches stretched up to the sky, blotting out the sunlight. I turned to Grandpa. His brows were furrowed in concern. The deer was nowhere to be seen. Where are we? I asked. 
Don't worry. We'll just go back the way we came. But as we paddled against the current, none of the surrounding forest looked familiar. Grandpa pulled out his phone and squinted at the screen. No service, he grunted, tossing it back in his bag. With every passing second, the forest seemed to get darker. The sunlight dimmed, the shadows stretched across the ground, the chirps of the birds faded into the gurgles of the water. We're lost. His silence confirmed it. I knew it. You have no idea where we are. We're not lost. We just haven't found our way back yet. He said in his calming, gentle tone. That sounds like lost to me. Emily. He said. Please just relax. Enjoy this. Your time away from the city. <laughs> you think I enjoy getting lost in the middle of nowhere? Getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, hanging out with an old guy who doesn't even know how to use a smartphone? You know, Emily, when I was in middle school, like you, we didn't have internet. We had- Just stop it, okay? I don't want to hear your stupid stories. I just want to go home! The sound of pattering footsteps. Fast, rapid, light. What was that? Just the deer, Em. But he looked concerned. Scared. He paddled us towards the center of the river, watching the forest with wide eyes. I clung to my seat. What if it's something watching us? I glanced into the canoe. We had no weapons. Just oars and some half-eaten peanut butter sandwiches. The sound didn't come from the forest this time. It came from the bottom of the boat. As if we just tapped a turtle or scraped a rock. Did we hit something? Thump, thump, thump. More tapping sounds, soft and hollow, from the bottom of the boat. Grandpa's eyes widened. Go! Go! I grabbed the two small oars on the bottom of the boat. I plunged them into the water. The canoe cut through the current, racing across the surface as we both paddled. As the riverbank whooshed past us, I noticed more holes. In the soil, the trees, the rocks, staring back at us like dozens of eyes. Rapid tapping along the bottom of the boat, matching my pounding heart. I pulled the oars harder, faster. The water churned into white foam underneath me. Clunk! My paddle collided with something hard. I looked down to see something small and gray floating on the surface of the water, about three feet long and spindle-shaped. Splashes erupted around us. Fish? Birds? I thought. But when my eyes met Grandpa's, my heart plummeted. I've never seen such a look of terror on my stoic grandfather's face. It's too late. He muttered to himself. Too late. The boat rocked furiously underneath us. Then it tipped. I plunged into the cold, dark water. No sight. No sound. Just cold blackness all around. I thrashed and swam blindly until my head broke the surface. I took a gasp of breath. Grandpa! I screamed. The canoe floated on the surface of the river, slowly sinking. Grandpa was gone. Grandpa! That's when I felt it. A light touch, brushing across my leg, under the water. I yanked it back and screamed. The touch multiplied. I felt touches like tiny fingers brushing my shoulders, my back, my legs. And something tugged me under. Icy water filled my nose. I kicked and thrashed, mouth open in a silent scream. Something was pulling me down, down, down. Strong hands grabbed my shoulders. Then I was lying on the shore, flat on my back, gasping for air. Beside me was the canoe, pulled into the wet dirt and our bag of supplies. Grandpa leaned over me, an expression of horror cut into his face. Emily, are you okay? I think so. I pulled myself up. The cold wind blew against my drenched clothes, my wet hair. What happened? We need to get out of here. Motion caught my eye. I looked down. A short, flesh-colored creature dipped back into one of those strange holes cut in the large oak tree. Some sort of hairless cat or weirdly colored lizard? Grandpa, what is going on? I asked. He didn't have a chance to reply. The tiny pattering footsteps again, this time from the entire forest surrounding us. 
Grandpa grabbed my wrist and yanked me forward. We ran over the grass, over the rocks. The thumps of tiny footsteps faded into the wind. The evening calls of birds and low hum of crickets filled the air. Grandpa, what is going on? Nothing, was all he muttered back. After several minutes of running, we stopped in a clearing. Grandpa leaned over a boulder, his breaths coming out in loud wheezes. I tugged at my shirt, still ice cold against my body. The forest was silent and dark as night. Best for us to set up here. If we go any further, we'll just get lost. He pulled at the backpack strapped to his shoulders. We can go back for the canoe tomorrow. You mean, we're going to spend the night out here? I have before. He roughly opened the bag and pulled out a few blankets, a pile of snacks, and a lighter. Good thing I decided to bring the waterproof backpack, huh? Here, get yourself into some dry clothes. He tossed me a spare shirt. I stared at him and felt the sting of tears. Your clothes are wet too, though. I'll live. He shouldered off his wet shirt and threw it into the dirt. Then he pulled the lighter out. A flickering orange flame appeared. Soon we had a small fire going. The forest flickered with the flames as if it were moving itself. I spread the blanket across the ground and lay on top of it. The rocks still bit into my back and the soil still felt cold and wet. Somehow, despite the discomforts, I fell into a deep sleep. I woke with a start. For a second, I didn't remember where I was, but then I felt the wet hair against my neck, the rocks cutting into my back. What woke me up, I wondered. But then I heard it. The chilling note of a flute, piercing the air. Then another note, and another after it, piercing together to form a haunting, beautiful melody that rode on the wind like a lullaby. My eyes adjusted slowly to the darkness. An endless sea of black slowly became indigo sky, Tangled branches, a scorched campfire. Listening to the melody, I yawned and rolled over. That's when I saw the feet. Small and fat like a child's. Covered in thick, brown hair. I sat up, my heart pounding in my ears. I opened my mouth, but only a dry squeak came out. The humanoid figure took a step forward. It was about the height of a toddler with all the wrong proportions. Long, stick-like legs, a flat, large face, thin patches of hair that covered its face and body, and it was missing a nose. I tried to scream again, only a low hiss came out. It leaned forward. Cold drops of water fell onto my face. It opened its mouth and spoke. Come with us. Its voice was hushed and high-pitched, like the whine of a dragonfly. I backed away. The rocks cut into my hands. My feet tangled up in the blanket. There is only sadness for you here. As it spoke, I noticed several short shadows standing at the edge of the clearing, slowly closing in. Only sadness, boredom, heartache. Come with us. It lay a cold, damp hand on my shoulder that felt like a child's. No, I croaked. Get away from me! Those little black eyes turned from sympathy to fury. Tiny eyebrows furled, wrinkling a hairy forehead. The hand tightened its grip. You will come, come with, with us. us. It growled in a deep voice. The rest of them ran forward and closed in. Cold little hands grabbed my arms, my legs, my shoulders, and then they pulled. I slipped out of the blanket and skidded over the damp soil. Rocks scraped against my chest. They chittered excitedly among themselves in a strange language that I couldn't understand. Warm, rotten breath wafted over my face. I took in a deep gulp of air. Grandpa! I shouted. Grandpa! A rustling sound from across the campfire then the flicker of an orange flame. I fell hard into the soil. The creatures scattered, disappearing into the shadows of the forest. Thump, thump, thump. Grandpa stood up. The orange light threw his face into harsh relief. He brandished it like a sword walking through the clearing. With each whoosh, the shadows retreated. I couldn't tell if they were just shadows or some of them scampering back home. Finally, he stopped in the center of the clearing. 
They're all gone now, Emily. I ran over to him and buried my face in his shoulder. Grandpa, I'm so sorry for what I said to you, for everything, for... It's okay. What... What were those things? Mimigwesi. I've never seen anything like them. I grabbed the blanket off the forest floor and wrapped it around my shoulders. They look so... Human, almost like children. They're not human, Grandpa replied with a bite in his voice. Not human at all. He sighed and bent down to relight the fire. I thought we were safe. They usually don't stray this far from the water. But I should have known that they'd follow us. Why? The fire crackled to life. He sat in front of it, hands stretched out towards it. Do you remember those mushrooms I found in the woods last year? And you were terrified I'd poison myself by eating them. I nodded. I found them in these woods. What I didn't know is that they were planted by the Memiguesi. In the weeks after I took them, I found little footprints around the cabin. My stuff started disappearing, garden tools, bags of birdseed, anything they could get their hands on outside my house. But they saw it didn't bother me. He looked up and gave me a small smile. So I guess they decided to try to steal the thing that means the most to me. I'm sorry, Grandpa. Don't be sorry. It's not your fault. I'm the one who took their damn mushrooms in the first place. He poked the fire. It sparked and flickered. Try to get some sleep, okay? I'll keep watching till dawn. Okay, Grandpa. I wrapped the blanket around myself, and after almost an hour, finally drifted into a deep sleep. In the morning, we headed back down to the river. The canoe was as we left it, dragged up onto the shoreline. As we got closer, Grandpa's face fell. Where are the oars? Tiny footprints scattered the sand around two oar-shaped imprints. Damn it. Grandpa muttered. Okay. We'll have to walk back along the riverbank, get back to the car. We'll worry about all this later. Let me just get my bag out. Grandpa grabbed the side of the canoe and began to lift. Grandpa! Stop! I screamed. In the sliver of shadow underneath, two dark eyes glinted out, glinting with fury. Thump, thump, thump. The forest thundered with footsteps, much louder than yesterday. Small brown shapes darted out of holes in the trees, the rocks, the soils. Shadows converged on the horizon, darting between the trees, forming a crowd. An army. Run! Grandpa yanked me forward. We ran along the riverbank, my feet slipping over the stones and mud. The entire forest shook underneath us. We're not gonna make it! I shouted. We don't even know where we are! We'll make it! He shouted back. The river roiled and churned. Dark shapes flitted underneath the surface like enormous fish closing in on their next meal. We ran as fast as we could. My legs ached. My lungs burned. And then suddenly, the forest cleared. We dove into his truck and locked the doors. I coughed and panted. Grandpa wheezed. He fished the keys out of his pocket and stuck them in the ignition. Then he turned to me. Promise me one thing, Emily. What? Don't tell your mother about any of this. Deal? (laughs) Deal. I replied with a smile. A few days later, I left Grandpa's. I promised to visit him again over the holidays. A year was too long to wait. He gave me a tight hug and Mom and I began the trip back to the city. Over the coming weeks, I tried to forget about the Mimigwesi, but it was difficult. They lived in my nightmares and fears. Sometimes I woke up with the thump, thump, thump of their little footsteps still pounding in my ears. Sometimes I swore I could feel their warm breath on my face. One night, in September, I woke from a particularly horrible nightmare. In it, I was back in the forest, sleeping in that dark, cold clearing. 
The fire had long been reduced to embers, and in the purple shadows I could just make out the form of a short figure standing over me. I woke up gasping for air. I jumped out of bed and flicked on the lights, my entire body shaking. That's when I saw them. On the carpet, right next to my bed, were two wet imprints, shaped like little feet. Let's take a break from fiction to talk about something real. Your true paranormal story. Have you ever had something strange happen to you that you can't completely explain? A true paranormal story? Have you experienced strange lights in the night sky? Perhaps you've spent a night in a dusty old inn out in the countryside only to make contact with a previous guest who apparently never left. Is there something odd lingering in the woods behind your home? Maybe the phenomena you're experiencing is a little more strange. Does any of this sound familiar? Maybe you have a true paranormal story of your own. Connect with us. We'd love to hear it. True Paranormal Story is a segment that we're adding to the podcast on our off weeks to feature listener stories of the strange and unexplained. Email Nikki at trueparanormalstory at gmail.com with yours today, and it could be shared on the podcast true paranormal story. We look forward to hearing from you. I really love connecting with fans of the show. Uh, many of you will reach out to me on social media to tell me what you think about what I do on the show. Uh, some will share some ideas. Others will share stories and encounters they've had. Uh, either way, it's always awesome to hear what your thoughts are. And it doesn't happen very often, you know, but rarely, and I mean very rarely, people will notice me uh, and they'll know who I am. And I'll get to hear some of these things in person, which is just always quite a treat. Now, some time ago, while I was on the hunt for voice actors, I came across someone who is from my neck of the woods. And I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but he had moved away from the area. I actually noticed through my extensive amount of internet creeping uh, that he had written a few epic poems. And, and by epic, I mean I don't mean awesome or amazing, though they certainly are. His poems are epic in, in the way that poems used to be written. Uh, finely crafted, narrative, uh, telling tales of heroic feats. You know, the, the way that ancient writers do. And they were all about one thing that we had in common. Fargo, North Dakota. I had to reach out to him. Wouldn't you? Dan McCollum. Now, you might remember his voice from a recent episode, uh, the Val Johnson incident. It was episode three of the season. He performed in our audio fiction. After several messages back and forth through Facebook and emails, I got to know him. I learned several interesting things about who he was and what he was pursuing, as well as a few of his experiences. In fact, when he was in town next, he invited me out to hear a story about this encounter that him and uh, a few of his best friends had on a road trip. And we met at a local pub to talk about the show. We talked about some of our favorite podcasts, and more importantly, his encounter. I have to say, the best part of this is it's probably the manner in which the story was told, under the dim lights of an Irish pub with a pint in hand. Uh, you know, the way that most stories probably should be told. So I'm with Dan, and I'm also with his best friend Matt. The two of them took turns recounting an experience they had while on a road trip several years ago to Michigan's Upper Peninsula, or the UP. Now, you should know their story was the inspiration for this episode, and at the time I had no recording equipment present, but the two were happy to share their story again via Skype. We realized it was back in um, 
late summer of of 08, me, Shibs, and uh, Jefferson there, we all kind of became friends around March of that year. Okay, so that's Dan McCollum, or as his friends know him, just McCollum. And, yeah, went to a lot of parties and stuff. And anyway, we just realized it was, I think, Shibs, was it August August or was it early September? I think it was August still. It was August still. And that's Matt Shibley, um, also known as Shibs. And um, we just realized we had actually left town in forever so we kind of and we were all broke we had enough money to do a day trip so we decided to go to ashland wisconsin the ashland bayfield area um mainly because i used to go up there all the time as a kid and it was pretty and they these guys had never actually seen um, one of the great lakes before so we decided to go up there together mccollum shibs and a third, a friend that they refer to as Jefferson, embark on this journey from Fargo, North Dakota to Ashland, Wisconsin. The drive is about mm, 300 miles, translated to about maybe five, five and a half hours by car. It's a boys trip, just the three of them. They're young, they're spry, ready to experience new things, to see where the road takes them. Now for two, it's a chance to expand their horizons, but but for Dan, it's a chance to revisit a place with childhood memories. Um, it, it ended up, it was, you know, three young guys all hanging out. I was the oldest. I'm about six years older than, the, than those two. Um, just having a good road trip. And so we get up to, you know, we go, we go to Duluth. And of course, just as we come up over, like, over the ridge in Duluth so you can see the lake and the bridge and stuff, we put on uh, the Edmund Fitch, um the wreck of Gerald Gordon Lightfoot because you have to at that point. Um, and we drive up, we drive over to to Ashland. And Ashland, there's like there's three towns up there that are really close together. There's Ashland, there's Bayfield, and then there's Washburn. And um, we were gonna we were gonna stay in Ashland. We found this nice little hotel, which the name's is escaping me. But we got up there in a really good time, which was the problem. You know, it's August, and we're something like, well, we're, we're here, what do we do? We could go do anything. And, yeah, it's kind of a smaller town. So that's when we hit on the idea of trying to go to the UP. The UP. Uh, for those unfamiliar, that's the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, it's known for its rich, beautiful forests that are, like, three times more beautiful in the fall. The fact that it borders three of the Great Lakes making it a legit vacation spot, and the five-mile-long Mackinac Bridge located at the very tip which connects Upper Michigan to Lower. I, I did my undergrad in the UP, like I said, and I loved it up there. I still I still do. I feel completely at ease and connected to the landscape out there. It's, it's been this very visceral connection since I, first, since I even first visited the university up there when I was in high school. And so I hadn't been back in a, in a few years anyway, and I just wanted to go to the UP, even just a little bit, you know. Um, Shibs was game because it was like it was like the furthest furthest east you'd have ever been at that point, you know. We kind of discuss it back and forth. I'm like, dude, there's like these ghost lights out in Paulding, and wait, 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 uh, ghost lights out in Paulding. Okay, what? <laughs> Sorry, here's Dan again. Paulding's a very small town, and there's this country road that kind of goes out, I would say, to the south of town. And um, you drive down this road, and you park your car in a certain location, and at night you'll see these glowing orbs of light kind of coming towards the towards your car, but they never reach it. Then they disappear, and you see another one. One of the theories that it's reflected light from the nearby highway, which it very well might be, I don't know. It was traditional that when I was going to school up there, that you and your buddies would go down there, have you know, park the car, have a few drinks, and see the lights, freak yourself out, and then go home. And I had never done it for whatever reason. But basically, there are these glowing orbs of light that they kind of start in the distance, and then they move closer to your car, and then they disappear, and then they reform out there, and you see them again. You know, they kind of change colors as they move, they change size and so forth, and... One of the going theories theories is that they're reflected lights from the highway, you know, which, I mean, very well could be. I, I unfortunately never got out to see them. And as the story says, even when we wanted to, we didn't end up seeing them. We saw 
other things. So anyway, like I said, you know, I just really loved the UP, and I convinced these guys. And so we jump in the car, and they um, Jefferson may have been 21 yet. Um, Shibs, you were 20. You just turned 20 back in May. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we decided to go get some beer, but obviously it's going to be me going inside to get it at that point. And we were trying to figure out exactly where we had stopped, and I think it may have been Wakefield, Michigan. Um, but we go into this um, gas station to get beer. We buy two, we buy two six packs. Yeah, you know, I get the beer. I put it in the trunk, and we decide to drive off. So we're driving, and uh, the way to get to Paulding is you go, um, you go straight uh, east of Wakefield, and then if you're us. You get confused, don't know exactly where to go to find the lights, and you just drive around for a while. We could have stopped and asked directions, but, you know, we're young guys, and we're going to figure this out. So we're just driving on these old, dusty, dirt roads and everything. So the three of them are out driving around, like Dan said, uh, trying to find their way to where these mysterious lights are located. They've got beer in the trunk. They're on an adventure of a lifetime. Everything is great, right? And not so much. You know, unbeknownst to the others, Shibs was starting to have different thoughts going forward on the trip. Something just didn't feel right. I was starting to feel uneasy the moment we got out of Superior, Wisconsin, on our way further east. And then the farther east it went, like, but by the time I was in Ashland, it was almost like, I don't know, it was like kind of like a growing anxiety kind of like panic attack feeling like it was like a feel an increasing feeling of dread that was just kind of like slowly creeping up like and 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 by the time we got to michigan then it was already kind of but i was already getting like a little creeped out by the paulding light thing and and it's interesting because my reaction was the exact opposite the further east we got the more into the woods I started feeling so much calmer and more relaxed and, like, almost more myself than I had been in forever. I remember even Jefferson commented that I even walked different when I was out there. I was, you know, I just seemed more confident and more, a little bit more carefree. Um, so we were, uh, we were both, we were having diametrically opposed reactions. And then Jefferson was on your case. He was starting to feel nervous, too, I remember. He was starting to feel uneasy, too. I remember you telling me, like, because you were you were generally kind of freaking out by the time we got to the Porcupine Mountains, and mm-hmm. I think you were saying like you thought things were watching us or something. And I'm totally dismissive. I'm like, oh, you two are just a bunch of plains kids. It's your first time in the woods, grow up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not being so freaked out there. by the trees. <laughs> so we're driving around, and and for the and I always say for the sake of total honesty. As we're driving around these back roads looking for these lights, we start doing what I think almost anyone would do in this situation. We start telling each other ghost stories. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have any really good ghost experiences myself, but my cousin Tom, oddly enough, has had a few. As I was telling those, you know, the time he thought he saw a gray alien walking by the window while he was sleeping with his parents and stuff like that. And I forget what Jeff- Jefferson had a few. I forget exactly what his were. And then you were telling about the uh, Regent School. Oh, the Regent School is a whole story for another day. Anyways, we're telling ghost stories. We're on these old, dusty dirt roads. It was, it was, it was totally dark out by that point. It was actually really cool. We finally get back to the main road, and there was a bar out there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm asking for directions. You guys stay in the car. Cause... So he kind of babysat you, and I go into the bar, and I kind of strut up to the bar. I'm wearing a flannel t-shirt, baseball hat, you know, trying to look as much like one of the locals as I could because that's how I dressed when I lived up there. So I go, up to, I go into the bar, I walk up there, and there's a you know, bartender's working, younger guy. I said, hey, I got a weird question for you. And without missing a beat, guy looks at me, he's just like, don't know where, want to know where the lights are, don't you? And I was like, yep. I said, you get this question a lot, don't you? He goes, oh, every night. <laughs> And the guy goes, yep. He goes, you see that road road just on the other side of the parking lot? I said, yeah. He goes, they're down there, but you're not going to be able to see them. And I said, oh, well, why not? He's like, well, those bridges out there, they're rebuilding the bridge. And so you, you you literally can't get to the spot. It's like, ah, get back in the car. It's like, oh, guys, I'm sorry. You know, ah, the, the bridge is out. We can't do it. 
you know, there was a little bit of grumbling, but I think everyone understood. You know, it just, it, it happens. Disappointing. So we pile back in the car. We start really driving. disappointed. Even with everything, like, I was really hoping. Oh, Especially yeah. because it took, we, we we wandered around for a long time looking for this place. So by that point, we are just like, we just want to see this thing. So, you know, we, but anyway, so we pile back on into the car. And we're driving back. God, it wasn't even that long. It was like maybe 10 or 15 minutes later or something. I remember Jefferson's looking out the windows, and he's like, oh, my God. It's so, the stars, he goes, the sky is just so black. There's no light. The, the stars are just amazing. And I was like, well, yeah. And I said, there's not a lot of people out here. I mean, that's the thing about the UP, that it's literally a third of the, a third of the land map, or a third of like the land area of the state of Michigan is comprised of the UP. But only about 3% of the population of Michigan is in the UP. And so it's just this heavily forested area with, like, little tiny communities that dot the landscape. And there aren't a lot of people who live in the country. You live in town. And so anyway, it's just, it's heavily wooded, and whatever light there would be is blocked by the trees. And so it's just so dark. I remember I I turned to Jefferson, and I was like, well, do you want to do some stargazing? We're out here. I can pull over. You know, next time we get to a frontage road or something, could just go out for a few minutes and look at the stars. And he was pretty much for it. Ships, on the other hand, had a very different opinion. Yeah, I didn't want to do it at all. And we did, that was like after we left the like bridge signs was when I was feeling like the the most like extreme feeling of like not feeling good about that like I, I've, I just had a very ra- extreme uneasy feeling like it was just like something I was just feeling like something's up despite Shibs feeling incredibly uneasy the three of them continue onward to try a spot on the side of the road and pull off anyway and looking out their windows in the August night sky they start to notice something this far out away from the city lights The night sky is this breathtaking spectacle. Driving out on a frontage road in the darkness, they can see the infinite stars high above, uninterrupted by anything else. And they're all taken back by it, too. And the stars were really good. They were good. They were really good, like Milky Way. I mean, it was... (laughs) I've only seen stars like that a few other places. No, no. We when we pulled over, there was no noise. No, there, there was no no bugs. No, no it birds. was it was hot in August, and there were no bugs. There was yeah. no wind. No, not, anything. not even a not even the slightest breeze. No, that's it was nothing. You could I hear mean, your beating. Yep, and so we find this furniture road. We pull over. Jibs had kind of protested, but we, you know, beat down his protest by like, dude, come on, this can be fun. And so we get out of the car and it was, yeah, it was silent. It was so utterly silent and it was peaceful. It was, at least for me, I I, I literally had this almost, (laughs) yeah, well, exactly. And we're out there a few minutes and Jibs over here starts, he's freaking out. He's like, can we can we at least turn the lights of the car on? Can we turn the lights of the car on? And, um, I you was could like, see past your hand, you could stretch your hand out. You couldn't even see that far out. Like it was pitch black out to where we were at. You could see the stars, but it wasn't anything kind of starlight, but you could, you couldn't see very far ahead of you at all. I, I must've needed my carrots because I could actually see my hand, but it was dark. <laughs> it was dark. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I get irritated with them because they're like, I don't want light. I, it, this is perfect, you know. But I'm like, finally, I'm like, oh, fine. Here, take the fucking keys. I like threw you the keys. I'm like, go turn them on then. So you you go over, you turn it on. And what we had forgotten is that <laughs> I'm one of those people that when I listen to music in the car, I crank it. And so you turn the ignition on in the car and all of a sudden, like the silence of the night is just shattered by this booming music. And I remember I'm, like, screaming, like, dude, turn it down. Turn it down. And you're like, I don't know how. I run over. I'm like, oh, god damn it. I, like, I put you in the way. And I just turned the volume all the way down. And that's 
when things got interesting because it it seemed as if it hadn't been it, it seemed like it'd been like a while but I, I think it was just a few seconds yeah just a few seconds all, after that video got turned down yeah because we we're all standing by the car at that point and I had once again that wave of euphoric peace came over me and all of a sudden, Jefferson, who remembers this big guy, sc- literally screams, get in the car, get in the car, now. And I'm like, what? But also, when a big strapping guy starts screaming to get in the car, you listen. Okay, okay. So I think I'm just going to pause right here. I, I think that's a good time to take a break, don't you? <laughs> don't worry. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Today's episode was brought to you by Spotify. You like music, right? And let's face it, you love podcasts. Why not have both? On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place, for free. And you're not even required to go premium. Spotify is an extensive library of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Download episodes to listen to offline. Easily share what you're listening to with your friends through Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Whispers in the Night on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab and subscribe by clicking follow so you never miss an episode. Spotify, the world's leading music streaming service. And now, your go-to for podcasts. There. Uh, that wasn't so bad, now was it? Okay, now let's pick up where we left off. Shibs actually had one of, the, one of the better responses to this, too. Yeah, I was, well, I mean, I was already a bunch of nerves before all this happened. Jefferson thought he heard something say go, but I heard, and McCollum, I don't think, heard anything. I but did. I, I was completely, I was like blissfully ignorant. <laughs> I mean, the music just blasted, so if there was any animals, they would have just bolted. I heard like a, <sighs> it, it was like somebody's breath. Like mm-hmm. a, <sighs> like total sound. horror movie style. That's when, when Jefferson freaks out, screams, get in the car. Yeah. Shift standing out. next to him, at which point you... <laughs> I literally just grabbed him by the shoulders and picked him up and threw him <laughs> up against the car out of my way. <laughs> I and mean, remember, he's like six foot three, and Shibs is about five seven, five eight, and you know, at that point, all but thirty pounds. You know, <laughs> he had to have been. Yeah, I was probably about one hundred and thirty pounds, <laughs> <laughs> soaking wet. You know. <laughs> yeah, no. But um, though it was just a blind panic, just a blind into the car, like we and and Dan was just like, "What? Oh, okay." I mean, he he wasn't. I don't know. He wasn't just. He just was all with what how he felt about. But we were just starting to feel uneasy, and then that happened, and then it was just time to bolt. I always like to think that whatever it was had no problem with me being there. I wasn't the idiot turning on loud music. <laughs> so we we dive into the we get in the car and I I did pull up. I oh, remember I backed out. Yeah, and I'm just like oh you know so I back up real quick and we get back on the road and I'm looking I'm looking at Jefferson. I'm like what happened? He goes no not now not now I'll tell you in a little bit but I heard something something on the wind but then he, but then the, he's like but there was no wind and shibs is like no there wasn't so we're dry so we're, we drive a bit more and i'm like all right what happened and that's when um jefferson explained about hearing you know the voice on the wind when there was no wind saying go and shibs perked up and he and was like oh my god i heard the oh part of it and i'm mm-hmm trying to be and then me and jefferson. me and me and jefferson are just chain smoking cigarettes because we're just 
totally freaked out by when we're driving away in the car. Like we were very upset. Like, yeah, no, they 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 were, and Jefferson didn't just hear something; he said he saw something. So it's like, well, what would you see? And he's like, dude, after I heard that and I told you guys to get in the car, he goes, I saw this thing standing out, out in the ditch. And he goes, it was like maybe like two or three feet tall. And he goes, and it had like glowing eyes like a cat. I didn't, oh, I certainly didn't see that. Shibs didn't see that. So I'm still, I know how freaked out they are. So I'm trying to be rational and calm. And I'm like, guys, you probably just saw like a bobcat or something. And maybe there was a stray breeze, even though I, there wasn't, I would have noticed, you know. And and the bobcat thing doesn't make sense because bob, bobcats are cats. You know, there was more weird things. We drive on, we drive on a little bit of the ways. And I'm like, you know what? It'd probably calm you guys better if we like got into some light. So I decided to stop at the next gas station, pick up some snacks, you know, and just kind of give them some time to, like, collect themselves. Yeah, as water is mean. So we pull over there, and we stop at this gas station. We go in... I don't go... I go in the gas station. These two stay outside to, like, chain smoke more cigarettes. Kind of chat with the woman behind the counter who seemed completely unimpressed by someone, someone who was like, yeah, I went to school at NMU. So I get outside, and it's just in time... To see um, Jefferson and Shib both pointing at the back of my car's car, Shib screaming, "What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that?" It was like something on the Blair Witch Project. We were just circling around the car, calming down and everything, and, the, and enjoying the light. <laughs> we we the car was still spotless. There was bugs on the windshield and the front part of the car from the road. We saw. A slight, it, uh, it was a like a handprint on the car. Mm-hmm. I uh, only, it was like in road. It was like a ro- in road. It was in like road dust. Yeah, the handprint. Yeah. And it was only maybe about. It wasn't a full handprint. It was probably more like three fourths. Like there was some parts of the hand that wasn't on the print. And it was small. Because I remember yeah, seeing it. A small it was, child. Like I was like a four or five year old child sized. We couldn't figure out when that could have possibly happened. Because the car hadn't really been out of our sight. There was no handprint there. And so I'm like trying to show them. So I'm like putting my hand over the print and trying to scrunch up my hand as best I could to make it fit. And there was no way that was going down. So even I at this point I'm like well, this is weird. This is really weird. <laughs> but I'm still trying to play it all calm and rational so that these two don't freak out anymore. So, you know. So I, I which which we do. And we get back in the car. Everyone by this time is kind of rattled. Like, I'm, even I'm getting rattled. So, you know, we, we drive on. And we get back to Ashland. And there's a Walmart in Ashland. And we thought to calm down because we hadn't been had a chance to drink the beer in, in Paulding because we couldn't get to the lights. So we're going to have a few beers. We're going to play poker. And Shibs, I mean, I I, there's no shame in this. Shibs, Shibs, you are still really, really frazzled. Uh, Jefferson was holding himself together. Yeah, so we sent him inside. And I go to Jefferson. I'm like, dude, let's pull the car up a little bit under this light because there was a, you know an overhang at the hotel with the lights and stuff. I'm like, I want to get a better look at that print. And Jefferson's like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. But we didn't want Shibs there because, you know, he's obviously frazzled as it is. So I moved the car up. We're staring at it. And that's when I noticed that there's not just a foot. There's not just a handprint. Um, and it was a right handprint. There was a footprint as well. It was a left foot. And it was smaller than the hand. It was, I would say, probably like maybe a two or three-year-old's footprint. Bare, completely bare. It almost looked like something had like put a foot in a hand on the back of the car and was like trying to rock it or try to push it, you know? I remember thinking, because I turned to Jefferson, I'm like, what did you hear? You said it said go. He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, God. Because... 
right after the loud music had disrupted the night and it got turned down. That's when we heard go. And then there's almost like these 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 prints of something trying to push the vehicle, which was what was making the noise. That's going on, and we're we're trying to discuss this. So like we're we'll go we're going trying to play a few hands of poker. Then we get really scared again. Go up, just look at the car, talk about that. Like it was like this elephant in the room that we wanted that we wanted to talk about, but we desperately did not want to talk about too much. And I remember we were all a little nervous that maybe whatever it was, maybe we maybe came back with us, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it could. <laughs> and to any any Native American listeners, I am so sorry for this part if we end up being disrespectful because we certainly did not mean to be. But we kind of decided that whatever this was probably had placed in Native American mythology and or at least, you know, worldview. And so we decided maybe the best thing to do would be able to placate the nearest spirit that we could find. And we're right across the road from Lake Superior, Gichigumi. So we we hurried across the road to do what we figured or thought would have been a tobacco offering. Um, Not really having any idea of how you do that. I didn't even have a smartphone at this point. I didn't get my smartphone for like another year or two, so it's not like I could just jump on Google and type that in. If middle-class white people trying to steal rituals just irks me, even though that's exactly what we would have been trying to do. Uh, so we had some we had some fresh rolled or no no, I'm not sure if it was fresh rolled or if they or if they were packed. We had American spirits spirits with us because that's what I smoked at least, and I think it's what ships would smoke at the time too. And, so we, and American Spirits is 100% all natural. So it was full. It was only tobacco. So we let take a handful of it and toss it towards the lake and do what I can only best describe as beseeching the lake to protect us. Like, oh, great, Gichigumi, you know, <laughs> please look upon we stupid children and, and protect us and, and so forth. So. Once again, to anyone that, that that part of the story offends, I am I am so sorry. We didn't know any better, uh, <laughs> and we were really freaking scared. So we do the ritual. Ritual. We did. We 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 threw tobacco into my into my favorite lake. <laughs> Feeling, and, and by this point, I think we'd come to the conclusion it hadn't followed us back as best we knew, and you know we just kind of end up going back and drifting off to sleep. The next morning, the three of them try to shake off the events from the evening before. They venture off in the area to experience a few more things. They go sightseeing, uh, take a few ferry rides between the mainland and the islands off of the UP, and it eventually dawns on McCollum where they might be able to come up with some of the answers to this whole debacle. There's a bookstore in Ashland, and I'm like, guys... I want to see if they have anything on, like, local Native American beliefs. Maybe I can find out what this was. And so we swing by, and there's a book. It's um, The Manitou by uh, Basil Johnston. And so as we're on the ferry. I'm reading through it, scanning. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, guys, I think I found it. And it was their one that they talk about little people and describe them as somewhat playful spirits, but, you know, they're normally found by bodies of water, especially rivers and lakes. And this frontage road had gone back to, like, a dock, if I remember correctly. And it just, it, it, it fit. Now, not knowing if it was the answer, the boys had an answer to what happened the night before. Could McCollum, Shibs, and Jefferson have had an encounter with some of the little people from Native American legend? Uh, could it have been a prank or a trick? Now, perhaps the three had stumbled into some sacred territory and they were disrupting the peace and harmony with the blare of loud music, well, we may never know. Leading up to this interview, Dan had actually sent me a few pages from the book that he mentions. Uh, in it, it describes Mamegwesi, its description and its playful trickster nature. The book also describes the height and other characteristics that match up with the encounter that the trio had. After his epiphany, McCollum and the boys spent just a few more moments out in Michigan's UP region uh, before they eventually decided to turn back and make the five and a half hour drive home. That was several years ago. The boys have since parted ways, and Dan now lives in Wisconsin. 
they keep in touch, and I've even had the chance, like I mentioned, uh, to see these boys tell their story in person. In honesty, I couldn't tell that Dan was only visiting. Uh, their friendship made me feel like he'd been there this whole time and that he'd never left. Either way, if anything, these events led to a pretty interesting story that they can all share with the people that they know. It's one that they're never going to forget, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to share it in this episode. But I'm curious, uh, just before we head off, what do you think could have happened? What do you make of their experience? Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the show. As always, it is always great to have you here enjoying what I do. This episode of Whispers in the Night was researched, written, and produced by me. But, you know, I'm always looking for help on the show, too. If you think you have what it takes to help me with research, maybe editing, promotion, or maybe you'd like to write us some great horror fiction, let me know. I'd love to have you. Special thanks tonight to Dan McCollum and Matt Shib Shibley for sharing their experience with us. Thanks also to Blair Daniels, who is behind tonight's work of fiction, Mamie Gwesi, which was voiced by Lindsay Boyd and Freddie Trejo. You can find this, as well as many of her other stories in her latest collection titled Don't Scream, 60 Tales to Terrify. We've used Blair's talent on the show before, and she's always good company. You can also visit blair-daniels.com to check out her other works. Listening to the show is made possible by Anchor. And lastly, I'd like to thank you, my listeners, for making this show possible. Remember, you can support the show in a number of ways. Leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or now Podchaser. Tell your friends. Uh, Merch is also available if you're ever looking to support our sweet logo. And we're on Patreon as well as Coffee if you ever want to show your support there. As always, you can find clickable links to all of them in the show's notes. And lastly, uh, October is just around the corner, and our topic for it is going to be paranormal investigation. If you have stories or experiences that you would like to share, um, feel free to reach out to us at whispersinthenight at gmail.com. Other than that, I thank you so much. Good night.